And that has been the battle throughout the centuries. In fact, as we are going to look in just a moment in Exodus chapter 9, that's kind of the battle there. God says that you may know that there is none like me. And so in this age where everybody says, well, just take the God of your choice and the path of salvation that you want, whatever works for you, they're going to find out one of these days there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. And Christians need to proclaim that and not be ashamed of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Father, as we get ready to look into your word, we do pray for people that are sick to be healed. We pray for people that, whether they're battling the virus or they're like uh, Gary Robertson, recovering from surgery. We've got several others that are doing that too. We pray for healing. We're not ashamed to ask you to do that. You are the healer. We ask you, Father, to provide jobs for people who need jobs, to provide food for the hungry. We ask you to provide encouragement for the discouraged. We could go on and on. But, Father, all of those things are merely temporary things. When we think about what we just sang about, that is eternal. Jesus will always be Lord. He always has been, He is, and He always will be Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray for Him to be exalted through this message, exalted through the way that we live, exalted in the palaces, exalted in governor's mansions, exalted, Lord, in the seats of government, in, exalted in courts, all of these places, Lord, we pray that Jesus would be exalted. And we pray, Father, that people would come to know him in all of these places. We're bold enough today to pray for presidents and congressmen, for senators. We're bold enough to pray for kings. We're bold enough to pray for dictators. All kinds of people, Lord, to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, that you might exalt yourself in this dark and fallen and evil world, and that you would bring people out of darkness into light and out of the kingdom of the enemy into the kingdom of your dear Son, and that you might take those of us who have trusted you and you might fill us with hope and fill us with joy and fill us with peace this morning in the midst of the storm. So thank you, Lord, that Jesus is exalted, and we, your church, lift your name on high. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Turn to Exodus chapter 9, and we're going to read. Uh, this is the, uh, one of the longer narratives about the plague. We're going to look at two of them again today, and uh, they're... Uh, I don't know, uh, frogs and flies and lice and all of that are pretty gross and pretty annoying and pretty disgusting to read about. I don't know that it gets really any better today, but uh, we're going to read about it and see what happens. And we're going to look at the ways that God speaks to nations and uh, the way that God gets nations' attentions, uh, attention today. And uh, this is... Of course, something that he did a long, long time ago. It worked then, and it is working now. So we're going to go down to uh, verse 8. Chapter 9 of Exodus, verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it 
toward the heavens in the side of Pharaoh. So Moses is going to go in front of the king and he's going to have a handful of ashes and he's going to throw it up in the air. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Can you imagine being given that kind of command? And the Bible says what's going to happen in verse 9. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Well, then they took ashes from the furnace and they stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. Here we come, the sorcerers, the magicians again. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Can it get worse? Well, I'll let you be the judge of that. In verse 13 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send my plagues to you, to your very heart, and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Jesus, only Jesus, right? Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. You would have died. I could have killed you, in other words. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, and this is quoted by Paul in Romans 9, by the way, that I may show my power in you. That's your purpose, Pharaoh. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock... And all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord, so apparently there were some, among the servants of Pharaoh, made uh, his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. Now remember, their stables a lot of times in those days were underneath their house. So that's what that means. Stable them. Put them in shelter. Verse 21. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in the land of Egypt on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail 
and fire, lightning, in other words, darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. It's not yours. But as for you and your servants, know that you will not, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt, that's a different type of wheat, were not struck, for they were later crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, made him angry, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So there Egypt is experiencing something it rarely experienced, which was rain. And then that rain was also mixed with a hailstorm like they had never seen before. I remember back, I think it was in 2013, remember we had several pretty bad hailstorms. A lot of roofs were replaced. And uh, I know that we had a lot of car windows replaced too. Chelsea and I stood in uh, our garage, opened it up, and we stood there under the shelter of it and watching hailstones the size of softballs come down and watched them going through the back windshield of her car and dented everything up, went through the uh, sunroof of Sammy's van. And I mean, it was just a mess. It sounded like machine gun fire and you could see how horrible it would be. And I'm going to say that that was nothing compared to what rained down upon Egypt. The wind, the rain, the hail, the lightning, the thunder. It was terrifying. They didn't have any way of finding out what the weather was going to do. They couldn't look on radar. They didn't have uh, David Payne or anybody like that to help them out with it. All they knew is it was here and it was coming down. And they didn't know what the end of it was going to be. Everything that was out in it 
was going to be pummeled to death and crops were going to be ruined. And here they are. You can imagine the enormous fear. This just after they had had those boils break out upon them. And uh, can you imagine the pain and the itching of all of that and the bewilderment that they had? All of this is happening for this one purpose. God says that you may know that there is none like me. Now, there comes a point to where people in Egypt might say, okay, we get it, the God of the Hebrews is, is God, and he is powerful, we, we get it, we've overlooked him, and we have not taken him seriously. But that doesn't mean that they renounce all of the other gods that they have. You see, there's a tendency that we have to just kind of add God to the arsenal, add God to whatever it is that we are doing in India they had trouble back in the days when they would do big, big crusades. And there would be thousands of people there that would come to the Lord. And it was said back in the 70s and 80s that India, if this keeps up, they will be the most Christian nation on earth uh, by the year 2000. Well, that didn't happen. And why did that not happen? Because in the Hindu faith, you can have as many gods or goddesses as you want. And so to take the Jesus God and add him to all of your other gods is no big deal. And all that the people were doing, not all of them, but most of them, they were just adding another god to their arsenal of gods, and they called his name Jesus. That doesn't mean that they're a worshiper of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that they've repented. It doesn't mean that they've laid all the others aside. Well, that's what's happening in Egypt. As these plagues go on, there are some people that are saying, you know, there's something to this Yahweh. There's something to this God of the Hebrews. He's a powerful God. How do I know that? Because when it was prophesied about the hail coming that would kill the servants and livestock that were working in the fields, the Bible says here there were some Egyptians who heeded that and they brought their people and they brought their livestock inside where there would be safety. The majority, I'm sure, did not do that, but some did. Does that mean that they became followers of Yahweh? Not necessarily. It just means that they acknowledged as that he was one among many gods. And so God is bringing this to pass, and he is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that nothing lets up, so that everything is accomplished, so that the Egyptians will know that there is a God of the Hebrews, but he is the only God, and there is no one like him. Boy, we could use that lesson in our culture today, couldn't we? There are a lot of people who think that it's good to have some kind of religion. It doesn't really matter what you have just as long as you acknowledge a higher power and have some type of religion. Those are the people that Matthew 7 speaks of that are going to be surprised when they find out as they stand before the Lord that he doesn't welcome them into heaven. That's why we've got to share the gospel with them. Now, out of these two stories, the boils and the hail, I want you to think of four words that we're going to talk about this morning, four things. And this is how God will get the, uh, a hold of a nation that is rebellious and is idolatrous. And if you'll read in Romans chapter 1, you'll find that nations are judged because they worship the wrong gods. 
And as a result of that, God pulls the restraint back, and then immorality and perversion uh, starts coming upon the nation. So immorality and perversion that we see today is not going to bring the judgment of God. It is the judgment of God. For what? We have worshipped other gods. You can think of all of the different things that Americans will give their lives to and sell themselves to. Think about all of that and understand that we have, as a nation, sinned against God. And so judgment comes upon us. Now, I want you to think about the word irony. There's an irony in here that is a message, a not-so-subtle message to the Egyptians. Now, it says that God told Moses, go to a furnace. What do you think of when you think of a furnace? Think of something that heats a house or something like that. I think of something that is good. I think of something that keeps you warm in the winter. You know, a, a desirable thing. But when the Bible speaks of a furnace here, that's not a bad translation. We just don't always understand it. Think of the word kiln. K-I-L-N. And I think the uh, English Standard Version uses that term. And the kilns here are not just something that would be used to keep a house warm in the winter. They were used for a specific purpose. Now, I read uh, two different opinions, ideas, about what this kiln, this furnace, was for. Arthur Pink says that he believes it was what they would use for human sacrifice. Let that sink in. They would burn people alive, and they would cremate them, reduce them to ashes, for the purpose of appeasing the gods so that they might show favor upon the land of Egypt. Well, how ironic, if that's the case, that Moses would go up to one of those, take the ashes from human sacrifice, throw it up to the heavens, and it becomes a fine dust over the land of Egypt. And what happens? The people break out in sores, very, very, very painful sores, and all of them, the beasts as well as the humans, are covered with those sores. Isn't it ironic that the ashes of the sacrifices that were supposed to protect them became the ashes that poured the pain on their lives. John MacArthur says the kilns were where they made the bricks. Ah! Pharaoh had oppressed the people, remember, by telling them, you're going to make bricks, you're going to gather your straw for the bricks, and the bricks were formed and hardened in kilns. Isn't it ironic to think that the very thing that Pharaoh used to oppress God's people, that the ashes of that became the dust that caused the people of Egypt to have misery and pain even worse than they had afflicted upon the Israelis. What's the point? Sometimes what God does to get a nation's attention is to bring such ironic things, the thing they thought would bring them prosperity or protect them from disease is the very thing that brought it upon them. I think about in our nation today, you see any ironies? 
Well, I see one. I think about how hard our nation fights and people within our nation fight to keep murderers alive and yet murder babies in their mother's wombs. See any irony in that? What about the irony, and I'm not going to go there. We could probably spend all day talking about these kind of things. What about the irony of telling us that if we gather to worship, we might be the cause of the spread of the coronavirus, but multiplied thousands across our nation, march in the streets without masks or social distancing, but that's okay. No problem with that. Do you see an irony in that? And what happens is that God allows what the enemy has sown and what illogical, immoral, and unbiblical thinking and action cause, it turns back on us. And the very thing we thought was going to make us free, I think about back in the 60s and in the 70s when they were talking about how we needed to have freedom, the sexual revolution. And what did that freedom bring us? A lot of disease. You ever heard of AIDS? All of these kind of things happen, and we try to figure out how to keep sinning without the consequences. And God speaks through the ironies of life to get a nation's attention. You better pray that America starts looking logically. You better pray that America starts looking at cause and effect. You better pray that America wakes up because these very things that we press for and press for and press for and demand are the very things that are ironically going to enslave us and to destroy us. If you see that, say amen. This is the kind of thing that God is using to speak to Egypt, except Egypt is not able at this point to really see it, hear it, or understand it. God has to grant that understanding. Secondly, I want you to think of the word force. The word force. Up until this time, these sorcerers, these occultists, called magicians in my translation, but they're not illusionists. These are people that are empowered by the enemy, and they have been thus far able to duplicate what Moses has done, right? And so, in this situation, though, they are summoned, and yet they can't do it. In fact, the Bible says they couldn't even stand before Moses because they were covered from head to toe with the boils. There comes a point to where God says to the enemy, no more. There comes a point where God says, stop, stop, and they are put to shame. Well, in this situation, God is enforcing his will upon this so strongly and so much that even those who up to this point said, we can match you, they finally have to admit they are no match for a sovereign God. And God sometimes puts a nation through some things where they can say, okay, well, if this happens, well, we'll invent a pill that will counteract it. If this happens, well, we'll figure out a way all around this. But there comes a point in time where there's no escape and there's no other way out. This is God enforcing his will to show who he is to the inhabitants of nations and the inhabitants of the earth. 
And that's what happened to these magicians. They came to a point where they said, we can't even stand before Moses here because we are in such pain. We can't alleviate it. We can't get rid of it. We can't even help ourselves. What is it you're trying to do? Because at this point, one of the things that the sorcerers don't want to do is to create more of this problem, right? Third thing. You'll notice here that as we move down through this, you'll notice that God also reveals truth. God reveals truth about himself. He says in here, these are my plagues. They're not the devil's. They are mine. He takes ownership. I'm doing this. Everybody hear me? God is saying, you're hearing me? You listen? Do you have ears to hear? I am the one doing this. It's not just that one of your little idols slipped up. It's not just that somebody forgot to do an incantation. This is me, and I'm the one that is doing this, and I do it at my pleasure. I do it according to my will. There is none that can stop me. You know, Nebuchadnezzar found that out, didn't he? He said that there is none who can stay your hand or say, What doest thou? Why? Because when God gets ready to do something, there's nobody that can stop him. In fact, God goes on to say, I am doing this to touch your heart. This is going to the hard heart of Pharaoh. And I'm doing it because I'm going to touch your heart. And he says... This is going to happen not only to you, but to your servants and your people. And then there's a phrase in here, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand, I would have killed you, and I could have. But he goes on to say, for this reason, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Now, that's interesting, because if God said, I've raised you up to show my power in all the earth, we would say, amen, do it, Lord. But God is saying this to a lost guy. God is saying this, here's your purpose in life. It doesn't sound like a gospel track nowadays, does it? Here's your purpose. Pharaoh, here's why I made you, and here's why I allowed you to become the most powerful man on earth. Because I am going to dominate you and I am going to use you as an unwilling servant to proclaim my name and my power to all the earth. Well, we're talking about it here now thousands of years later. That's what Paul's point was. Read Romans chapter 9 sometime. That's what he said. And so God is telling everybody and telling us and telling Pharaoh, telling this leader That there's truth that you need to understand. Because everybody operates on some assumptions about God. And most assumptions about God are going to be false. God has to reveal himself. And God will even do it through someone like Pharaoh. God is a sovereign God. Understand that. And then the last thing. I want you to think about this. With Moses... What did this require of Moses? Well, write down the word persistence. 
You notice that it talks about him over and over. Go, on, go before Pharaoh. How many times are we going to go before Pharaoh? Lord, this is getting a little embarrassing. How many times do I have to give the same message over and over and over before Pharaoh? How many times do I have to endure the glares of people, the hatred of people, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart? How long is this going to last? How long before Pharaoh says, arrest him and seize him? How long is this going to go on but Moses just simply obeys God and the message is the same every time you ever get tired of presenting the gospel isn't there something else we could say isn't there something else we could do well I remind you that as we sang earlier it's about Jesus and his name is exalted above every other name in fact the Bible tells us there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved and the gospel message has been the same ever since uh, the apostles walked on the earth, right? What is that? Repent of your sin and believe the gospel. Surrender yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. Isn't that the message? And sometimes it's hard to keep saying that. Sometimes it's hard to be persistent. Sometimes it's hard to be consistent as we live and the world is watching for you and for me to change to slip up and by change I mean in a negative way to compromise to back up to uh, not be what we've always claimed that we're going to be they love to watch the person who was faithful to church who is no longer faithful to church trust me they're watching and they watch with glee on those they watch the person who once had strong convictions and now they're not correct by the Bible they're pressured by culture and all of a sudden now their convictions about marriage or about sexuality or any number of things have changed in fact a lot of people and I hope it's not you a lot of people are slipping now on the fact that is Jesus really the only way to salvation and there was a poll done about 20 years ago so you can imagine what it is now among Baptists that said that it was approaching about 50% of active Baptist church members were not exactly certain that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Can you imagine? And the enemy's waiting. They lay traps for us. The world is watching. And they laugh at us. In fact, we're more inconsistent than the Centers for Disease Control. Somebody say amen to that. Doesn't that frustrate you? The different messages you get, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, touch things, don't touch things, clean everything, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, what are we supposed to believe? That's what the world is seeing when they look at you and when they look at me, when they look at our church. Where's the consistency? And yet God tells Moses, day after day, plague after plague, keep the message the same and just do what I tell you to do. Because as God speaks to a nation to get a nation's attention, He brings ironies. He uses force and power. He reveals truth, and there usually is some type of an awakening, an awakening of preaching, an awakening of evangelism, an awakening of the gospel. And then He uses the persistence of His people who day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, keep telling the simple story of Jesus and his love and of his grace 
and of his mercy. They keep telling the story of not just the facts of the gospel, but they also back it up with the power of a changed life. What has Jesus done for you? What were you before you were saved? What was your life like before you met Jesus Christ? And did he not change everything about you when you met him? I look back at my life, and there I was struggling, trying everything I could do to be good, to be religious, to try to serve God, and yet I had no power to do so. I remember the loneliness. I remember the fear. I remember being afraid of the Lord's return. Other people shouted hallelujah. It scared me to death to think that the Lord would come back. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. That terrified me. But I remember in 1982 when I got on my knees and I asked the Lord Jesus to save me. And I repented of my sin and put my faith completely in what Jesus had done. I remember I remember distinctly I felt the burden of sin and the weight of sin lifted off of me. I felt peace like I had never felt. A smile came out. Have you ever seen anybody get saved and be unhappy about it? I was the happiest, I think, that I had ever been in my life. And the joy bells began to ring in my soul. And there was peace And there was a sense of security. I had some other issues I had to work through as time went by. And all of it confirmed what happened when I was on my knees in 1982. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened. And if you've never trusted Him as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says that if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that means you surrender to Him as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Now, to be raised from the dead means that he died. And he died to pay the penalty for your sins. And then he was raised from the dead on that third day. And now is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Bible says, if you'll do that, you'll be saved. And here's a promise, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of you in this room have called upon the Lord, trusted in Him alone for your salvation, and surrendered to Him, and you are born again? Would you just say amen so everybody can hear it? How many of you regret that? How many of you want your money back? How many of you think you got a bad deal on that? Anybody speak now or forever hold your peace? Because the truth is, anybody who has been born again... Their life has been so changed that they may go through hardships and trials. You know, God never promised you a rose garden. And even in the roses, there are thorns, right? But He has promised to see you through. And He has promised to be faithful. And He has promised to guide you. And through many dangerous toils and snares, we've already come through those, right? And one of these days we'll be able to see the whole picture. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And all God's people said, Amen. Trust Him as your Savior and Lord because there is no one like Him. He's not just one among many. And He's not the, just the best among many. It's Jesus, only Jesus
is the way of salvation. I pray that America will hear that message. And I pray that you will be consistent and persistent in telling that message no matter what it is, no matter what the climate is, no matter what the reaction of people may be. Keep on telling the story. Be faithful and true because Jesus Christ is America's only hope and Jesus Christ is your only hope. Can you say amen to that? Heavenly Father, we close now by simply saying, Father, would you wake us up to let us look at the ironies, the very things we tried to do to make us safe actually endanger us? Would you wake up our nation to see the power of God as you enforce your will upon us? And we ask you, Lord, to revive us whether we want it or not. We ask you, Father, to bring us to the place to where the enemy runs out of power and we see the power of God continuing on infinitely. We pray that you would bring us to the point to where we don't just make assumptions about God, but that we are continually learning about the truth of God. Reveal yourself and your sovereign power to us. And then, Father... For every person that is not a Christian, I pray that they would trust Christ. And for every person that has trusted Christ, I pray that they would be consistent to tell the old, old story over and over and over and over and over again and just be found faithful. And we pray this all for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. A couple of announcements, and I think, Pastor, you have someone you want to present before we're, before we're out of here this morning. Uh, tomorrow is a Mission 405 food pantry. So those of you that work, if you haven't talked to my wife, if you're here this morning, be sure and talk to her before you leave. Those of you watching this on live stream, if you normally work the pantry with us, would you please text Susan and let her know, yes or no, whether you plan to be there tomorrow. Let me also update you on a few prayer requests. Uh, Bob Newman's father-in-law, Walter, passed away. That was early Friday morning, correct, Bob? Uh, so pray for that family. Most of you know Gary Robertson went back to the hospital late this week with complications. He had another surgery. He's doing much better. Uh, he texted some of us this morning, said he's back on regular food, should get to come home tomorrow. So continue to pray for him. Also a praise, Randy Bullock. Most of you remember we've been praying for his grandson. He's in the Navy. He's on the USS, uh, the carrier Roosevelt. That's the one that had a big percentage of the crew uh, that got the COVID-19 and had to be taken off the ship. That ship is back to home port in San Diego, and Randy's grandson never tested positive. So, so that's a praise that we were praying for. Pastor. John and Susan Hall, where are you guys? There they are, right back here. You see them? Have you seen them? They have come and said that God has called them to join Graceway. And Sammy, Amen. Sammy uh, listened to uh, Susan's story. She's got quite a story. And uh, says her testimony is good. And uh, Chad talked with John and says that, you remember, how many of you remember John from years ago? You want to know something crazy? He's still saved. And uh, 
His story is good. And so if you receive them as members at Graceway Baptist Church in full uh, fellowship of our church, would you just let it be known by saying amen? Amen. amen. Welcome. Welcome to our family. God bless you now. And uh, it's so weird. Uh, wave at them or something, whatever you need to do. Let them feel welcome. Send them a text or something like that or Facebook, whatever you can, but make them feel welcome. And God bless you. And as you continue to give and pray, and as God opens up doors for us, we'll continue to find ways to be a church that spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ and touches people outside of the walls of the church all for the glory of God. Pray with us about that, and you are dismissed. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.